I didn't know that I could feel a certain way. I think that I was internally telling myself that oh, this is the way it's gonna be. This is just who you are. So I saw a body worker in, in many, many ways. He got into areas of my body that were able to stretch and transform. I left out of that session shaking, having a deeply embodied experience about a few hours later. As I was sitting there drinking water, I was sitting there going, this is how I can feel. This is how I can feel. I remember those words coming to me on a consistent basis. And from that experience, I was able to start down a healthy environment, a healthy path. It opened the window for a healthier journey. Welcome to the Heart of Man podcast, a podcast for any man seeking to live in alignment with his deepest core and lead a life of profound meaning and connection. I'm your host, Alex Lehman, and I'm here to empower you through transformative conversations, eye-opening insights, and practical wisdom. Join me now as we venture into the heart of man. Let's dive in. Edward Olms is an expert body therapist, neurotrauma educator, and the visionary behind Science of Touch, a platform that educates people on safe manual body therapy from a trauma-informed perspective. Edward's journey into the power of touch began with his own accumulation of injuries, where he was eventually guided to seek support through manual body therapy. His profound healing experiences sparked a deep passion in him to understand the potency of touch leading him down a journey of studying the realms of physiotherapy, psychophysiology, somatic psychology, and neuroscience. I originally came into contact with Edward's work over two years ago when I went through a 400-hour breathwork facilitator training, where his platform Science of Touch was offered as a resource for further education. I have since followed Edward's work closely, inspired by his ability to bridge manual body therapy with the realms of neuroscience, trauma healing, and ancient wisdom teachings. When I heard that Edward was coming to Bali for a few months, I knew that we needed to come together in a conversation. In my own personal journey, learning to work with the body, coming into an understanding of the nervous system and how it consistently informs me throughout my day to day has truly been a life-changing gift that I never knew I needed. I have since developed a depth of connection with myself through my breath, movement, and touch, a connection that I never knew was possible. And through this conversation, my dearest hope is to provide a glimpse into the doorway I entered almost five years ago, a doorway that I now see as absolutely essential in our modern times. And through our dialogue, I aim to shed light on why nurturing a relationship with breath, movement, and touch are foundational pillars for this present time. With Edward's insights into ancient wisdom teachings, coupled with his depth of knowledge in modern science, I knew that he was the right person to share about the intricacies of the nervous system and how we can embark on a journey of deeper connection to ourselves. I hope that you'll find this conversation just as captivating and insightful as I did. Edward Olms, welcome to the Heart of Man podcast. Alex, thank you so much. It's our third day in Chengdu mm. and we're, we're integrating, but we are loving being back in town. Yeah. How does it feel being back in Bali? Yeah. Just a curiosity. Uh, Honestly, it's just been exactly the um, space that we needed to be in mm -hmm. at this moment. Like we, we love that that we're interacting with old friends and uh, getting to uh, enjoy the weather and yeah. be on a bike. Mm. <laughs> Even being on a bike, like the amount of freedom that that yeah. uh, entails, because uh, we've been 
you know, we've been locked in cars and, and moving around the, yeah. the United States. So just having a degree of freedom here yeah. is better. Yeah. A bit of an understanding as well for the listeners. You know, we have our little motorbikes here in Bali and yeah. it's something that's so beautifully adventurous. And, uh, as you say, it creates, it generates this feeling of freedom and, um, it's it's it really one of the highlights as well of my own life to, to drive these motorbikes throughout the island. <laughs> you don't realize how much you miss it until until like until you move away from yeah. it for a little while. Yeah, I bet. You're like, oh, I miss that adventure. Yeah. Mm. Well, I would love to um, just kind of preface this conversation for our listeners. I'm really excited um, for the listeners. This is the first time we're actually meeting together, Edward, and. Um, I first got introduced to your work um, by Edward Dangerfield, who I went um, through a breathwork practitioner training with around two years ago. And he directed me over to your platform, Science of Touch, uh, where, in my own words, um, you guide um, body workers or you guide people who offer manual touch um, to support clients in a safe way, but as well in a trauma-informed way uh, with your background in uh, trauma-informed body work. And um, this is something I'm really, really passionate about. And this is something I would like to um, bring a conversation into in order to illuminate the um, listeners into, into my at least current understanding of why this is so valuable, why is this so important. Um, and, th and this is why I really wanted to have you here on the podcast. And this is why I'm so excited about it. Um, so I would like to just maybe start off by just um, having you share who are you, uh, what is your background, and what it is that you do in the world. Yeah. Uh, well, my name's Eddie Edward. Um, I am a therapeutic body worker. Um, I fell into this work uh, because I received therapeutic body work on myself. I was a kinesiology major. Um, kinesiology in the United States is, is different than kinesiology worldwide. It's just a study of human body movement mm -hmm. uh, on a neuroscientific level. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I fell into this work because I had a body worker show me what uh, touch was what therapeutic touch was and how meaningful it could be and impactful in my life. Uh, and then from that day on, I, I knew that I was like, Oh, this is a, this is a very powerful practice. And I think that, um, uh, I, I already knew that, uh, it could be, uh, so deeply meaningful and impactful for people, but also that we were in a touch deprived society. Uh, I saw that right away. Um, and, uh, uh, I would just say that um, when I started studying it, uh, I studied, you know, how touch is uh, like a universal language. Um, touch is a touch is actually our first language. It's the first um, it's the first sense that is developed in the womb. Uh, it's the first language we learn, and the second language is actually our spoken word. So, and some people that know three, four languages, they still know touch as their first language. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, so that um that experience uh set me down this path of understanding um touch and what it means to the body and what it means to uh impacting uh, memory and trauma and uh, and i developed practice around it and then i was able to teach teachers from that i've been very blessed in my practice yeah that's incredibly fascinating and you know i i was sharing or we had a conversation before the podcast and i was sharing with you how my first experiences into breath work were incredibly profound, incredibly impactful. First of all, because that approach, that modality offered a more body centric approach towards healing, growth, um, creating deeper safety and empowerment uh, on my journey. But at the same time, 
what we incorporated in the work that we do, or at least I was entrained now into with Edward, was as well a lot of touch. And I remember the first experiences when I entered these um, non-ordinary states of consciousness, as we describe them, so states of where the where we're more open to the subconscious. I recognized how much I was craving touch in those moments. And when I was entering spaces of tenderness, spaces of vulnerability, where there would be a lot of, I'm going to say emotions moving through me, just to have that touch, there was something about it that felt so comforting, so regulating within my body that it felt like a language that I couldn't understand with my mind, but my body understood. Right. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, well, like language is uh, just a constriction of descriptors, mm. right? And so whatever language we know is just trying to parlay information in a succinct way. Um, and touch like is way beyond that. It's like, it's like six leagues beyond our constricted language because um, it's universal. It's all around our bodies. Um, you can't, it's very hard to lose touch as a sense. Um, we can lose our sight. We can lose our hearing. Um, but the only way to lose touch is through like a genetic, like a very, very rare genetic disorder. So everyone has accessibility to this language. Um, and it can be very powerful. Uh, it carries a power dynamic. Mm. Um, so touch can be incredibly supportive. It can also be the most damaging tool that we have. Yeah. And so with touch comes a lot of responsibility. And, um, and just, just to say that uh, when we set up therapeutic safe environments for touch, um, which are not afforded to us on a regular basis at all, like we need to, we need to set more of these up yeah. on a consistent basis. What do you mean by that? If you can just, Oh, I would just say like, uh, there's so much to the, there's so much to the body work setting, um, that is, that is, um, that is, I guess, impactful and meaningful for, for someone who's not in there regularly. Um, uh, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a safe zone, uh, with the right practitioner. It's a, it's an area where um, someone can go through an embodied process without judgment, judgment-free uh, environment. Uh, and it's, someone who is, it's a place where someone uh, can access touch, um, you know, in, I, I guess, where they're, where they're not getting it or where they're, where they're seeking out a, a valid modality. Yep. Um, that's the environment mm -hmm. for it. So yeah. yeah, we need to set up more of these environments. Okay. Interesting. And on that note, what I would like to hear a bit more about is, I guess, how touch as well speaks or communicates within the nervous system. And if you could as well provide us a general understanding of the nervous system and how it works and why as well, um, it is, I guess, important for us to understand the language of our ner nervous system, the way I would describe that. In another podcast, I actually heard you say that we are actually predisposed to orient ourselves towards danger mm -hmm. and that safety is actually a learned thing. Mm -hmm. That was something that was really fascinating for me and how you as well illuminated that the nervous system is actually running the show. Yeah. So if you could just elaborate on that and bring the listeners to a deeper understanding of that, sure. that would be appreciated. Uh, well, our through our nervous system, our entire world is shaped through uh, reflexory information or reflexes. What is a reflex? If you can just 
add yeah. that on. A reflex would be uh, a reflex would be a stimulus, uh, environmental stimulus, and our body's response to it. Um, we have reflexes throughout our body to conserve energy. Um, so much like an alternator on a car uh, keeps the battery charged, um, a reflex in the body would um, it would just uh, take in information, and what the body does with that information is this continuous loop. Uh, so um, all of our senses are reflexes. Uh, like every mechanical change in our skin through touch uh, gets sent up through our spinal, through the peripheral nervous system up into our central nervous system and our spinal cord up into our brain where that information is deemed like safe or dangerous mm. um, or, or, uh, or useful. Mm. Um, so also with our eyes, like why is this plant green? That's a reflex. Uh, why is there a chair under my under my butt? Like, why do I know that's a chair? That's just a ref. That's reflexory information telling me this. Um, so, um, so they're all around. Um, they exist. Uh, they in exist in every part of our nervous system. Um, uh, the other thing that these reflexes uh, communicate is, uh, I think, like I said just now, uh, safety or or danger. Uh, whenever we orient to danger, uh, that's a series of reflexes organizing in our brain uh, to basically get us into a safer environment. So if someone, um, so for example, if someone drops a plate right behind my head um, and I know that it's a plate, I'm safe. But if someone drops something and I don't know what it is, I'm immediately like cascading into a protective response. Uh, so, uh, so reflexes can be, um, postural, uh, they can be protective and they can be restorative. And, uh, and so we orient towards danger, like we orient towards, uh, getting us into a safer environment naturally. Um, but that, but learning that that safe environment is safe is, is something that, um, uh, is a reef reforming our like our memory banks it's like reformation of our memory systems and so we actually have to learn safety like we orient to danger but we have to learn safety mm -hmm. so. this is fascinating and what I, what i'm curious about is to hear how perhaps specific events that we have experienced where we were in a moment where we had this perception of danger or maybe there wasn't a real sense of danger how those then influence our lens towards danger and safety. Yeah. It has to do with the dynamics of, of a, a neurotransmitter called dopamine. So um, dopamine, it, dopamine stamps our memories and makes them permanent. Dopamine is a very interesting molecule. Uh, it, uh, it gets released. Um, we, we typically think it's a reward neurotransmitters so it gets released when we get a reward and that makes us feel good and happy but it really gets released um, to motivate us mm. uh, to move our muscles so if you take away dopamine uh, you get parkinsonian symptoms so mm. like it's an actual important uh, neurotransmitter for voluntary movement of our muscles um, it's uh, and then it's a neurotransmitter that assigns importance to things and mm. attention and so if something, if a, if a large event has happened or if a series of smaller events have happened, uh, dopamine imprints that memory. And then all of our motivatory factors 
go in that direction. Uh, and so that could be with uh, trauma, that could be with addiction, that can also be with super health, healthy uh, activities uh, such as running uh, or uh, receiving body work or learning that we can um, cultivate like healthy healthy factors in our lives. So um, everything has to do with with dopamine and and how it um, uh, how it influences our our learning. Mm. Uh, so for example, uh, I, just, I I have to bring this up because this is this is really interesting. Our our entire uh, brain is a predictory a predictive environment. So we're constantly running predictions all the time, uh, predictions of what's going to happen. So that it keeps us safe. Yeah. Like it's based on like the last thing that we learned. So we're right. predicting over the last thing that we learned. And so that's saying that's that that ties in with like danger. If the last thing we learned was like that this was a dangerous environment, we're predicting like how to keep us safe out of danger. Yep. Um and uh that actually can like move our baseline uh in an unhealthy way so that we're always predicting danger. Yeah. And and we're coming from this predisposed place of I am in danger. Yeah. Continuously. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But um uh but we need to learn safety. Yeah. Yeah. If we learn safety, we can take our we can bring that baseline back. Mm. So how can we do that? And I'm wondering if it would be of value in any way to have a bit of a bring a bit of a deeper understanding of how the nervous system works specifically maybe because i know you studied as well polyvagal theory quite deeply I, I wonder if that could be valuable for our listeners to kind of bring that in um and and how we can as well learn how to feel safe or learn to incorporate safety within our lives yeah uh there so we have a central nervous system mm. the brain and the spinal cord uh, we have a peripheral nervous system so everything else, so the vagus nerve dropping down into our body is telling us uh, how our internal body is, is supposed to feel at any given time or uh, gauging our, uh, the, the vagus nerve also slows our heart rate down yeah. uh, into a healthy parasympathetic response. So it's specifically designed, like it specifically governs a lot of our rest, digest, mm -hmm. relaxation responses. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, so like during this conversation, I will have to um, speed my heart rate up and slow it down. Right. And so also the slowing down part is going to be the, the vagus nerve. It's called the vagal brake. Mm. Uh, so that's constantly going in a dynamic up and down, up and down, up and down, just so we can like gauge the back and forth of this conversation. Um, in trauma, that gets really affected. The ability to slow that heart rate down, that vagal brake. So what happens? So that vagal brake gets lifted. And so I'm constantly running in a, maybe a, a sympathetic yeah so it creates this imbalance between um activating and then as well we don't have the capacity anymore to relax that response yeah so we're only we're only on the gas break gas dial but we're not on the gas uh, on the brake anymore correct okay. correct and there's there's many ways to you know influence the parasympathetic nervous system um uh, so you can uh, you can coach relaxation uh, or you can shock the hell out of the system, and that would be uh, getting into ice baths or uh, breath work or any sort of uh, any sort of activity that would um, that would challenge the system and allow it to come come back in a healthy way. So, um, uh, so we have those tools available to us. Deep relaxation, by the way, um, is is what I coach in like a body work session. Um, uh, 
getting into a, a, a state of, of theta, um, and we can go into that, but, um, but there's many ways to affect the autonomic nervous system. You also have a, the nerves that come out of your spine. So the, the nerves that come out of your head, that's your vagus nerve. That's your, the, those are your parasympathetic and, and sympathetic, uh, chain ganglia. Those are also the ones that do the fight or flight response. Right. Um, but then you also have like the nerves that come out of your spine and into your peripheral body. What do those do? Those, uh, those are muscle function, uh, postural muscle function, um, active, like active motor responses. Uh, so those are going to control, um, either posture or movement. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we don't talk about often is that those nerves actually, uh, through something called propri proprioception, proprioception, those nerves tell us who we are in space. Mm. They're very important. They, they give us the information of, I can be, I can be like this body. Mm. Like I can, I have this body that can move and do these things. Um, that's a deeply meaningful experience for somebody. And that is termed under proprioception. Is that correct? Yeah. Like the, like if I'm not looking at my arms and I know my arms are there, that's, that's my brain saying I am those arms. Right. And I can trust that those arms are there. Yes. Um, and then, and, and so that's a very meaningful experience for somebody to, to know their body. Mm. Um, and sometimes in fight or flight responses where, or, or, or chronic trauma or chronic illness or chronic, any chronic conditioning where our, our, um, uh, conditioning where our baseline is moved into like a, a realm of, of, uh, like a subconscious conditioning. Uh, like we can, we can lose touch with our body. We can lose touch with who we are in, in space. Um, and then we just default to, uh, Oh, I can't do this. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm worthless. Uh, yeah. Like other, other things that, that can come along with when, uh, losing our sense of, of, of body. Yeah. Uh, and so like what, I, what I love to, what I love about touch, what I love about body work is, is giving somebody that, yeah. that sense back. I love that. And I, I would like to like bring that in with a personal example of mine. I mean, um, the reason why I'm so passionate about this work, you know, that you do and that I as well now incorporate through breath work, uh, is because of the felt experience that I've had in my life. Right. And, um, the way I would term what you have been describing in my own way is, you know, a lot like. I could bring a lot of the movements through, but it was very mechanical. And sometimes I would come out of these sessions and be like, I would have this experience of, oh shit, I can feel my legs. I can feel my arms, right? And it was this, the way I would describe it, it was a sense of I'm home in my body, which then generated the experience of, oh, it's like a level of safety. Yeah. There's no other way to describe it, right? And I know I'm trying to describe this experience through words, but it's a felt experiential moment absolutely um that I, i'm not able to bring it through and i'm doing the best that i can at this <laughs> moment but it, there is something incredibly profound within that and the reason why i believe this is just valuable is that the more i had that understanding within myself that i'm as safe in my own body the less i was looking outside of myself for that safety absolutely what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would say you had a series of predictions mm. about what your 
body was, what your life was, what your body could do with that life. Um, and you had those predictions exceeded in a way that was um, through the body, through a new sensory experience. And this is what's important. You had a new memory formation. And uh, the cascading effects, the cascading motor effects uh, because of dopamine uh, that were positive on your body um, were positive in a lasting way. You have that memory now for a long time. And you can share that memory and you can um, uh, understand what people go through when they have that memory as well. There's a, there's a deep level of empathy now yeah. that you've experienced. So um, just to match that, uh, I had that experience as well with a body worker. Um, uh, you know, it was 2012. I was trying to figure out what to do with my work. I was in, in physiotherapy. Uh, and uh, I, I would say, like, I, I'm a survivor of pretty, pretty nasty, um, injuries throughout my life. Um, if I, if there's a five out of five on an injury scale, I was consistently meeting the five. <laughs> so I, uh, so through those experiences and through trying to, uh, see many doctors through those experiences, uh, I had gathered a, uh, protective mechanism or a series of protective mechanisms. Uh, many of them were physical and many of them were emotional. Were you aware of them? Um, if I oh, just jumped in, yeah, no, I uh, probably not. Mm. Probably not. I I think uh, drinking and partying was like, like right on up there with the norm, um, and I think that uh, uh, I didn't know that I could feel a certain way, uh, and I think that I was internally telling myself that, um, you know, this is the way it's going to be, this is just who you are, and uh, so. It's, a, it's emotional for me. So like I, uh, uh, so I saw a body worker. Um, I got introduced to a body worker through, um, through the school I was looking to attend. And uh, in, in many, many ways, he got into areas of my body that um, uh, were able to stretch and transform. Uh, and, uh, and I left out of that session shaking um, like having a, having a deeply embodied experience, um, about, uh, about a few hours later, I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't go home and I didn't like, or I went home and I didn't get into like any sort of like, I didn't eat like a big meal. I just drank water. And as I was sitting there drinking water, I, uh, was sitting there going, this is how I can feel. This is how I can this is how I can feel. I remember those words coming to me on a consistent basis. And, um, and from that experience, I was able to start down a healthy environment, a healthy path. I, it opened the window for a healthier journey. Mm. And like, when I tell you that that like moment was impactful for me, it, it, it really shifted from like what I was doing to my body in a destructive way to what I could do for my body in, in a healthy way. And like now that's years down the road, like that's more than a decade down the road and I'm still living with that memory. So that's, that's how meaningful touch can be. And, and, and specifically, um, working with the sensory body to shape a new experience. Yeah. Uh, this is so profound and I thank you as well for um, being willing to yeah just share about that I you know I, I imagine our listeners will deeply appreciate that yeah. um, 
what really stood out for me was this understanding of you, you didn't know what was possible, I guess, right? And then as you described, all of a sudden you entered this like new window and then had this felt experience of I can feel this way. Yeah. This is possible yeah. ultimately. And it was through that experience that a new pathway opened up for you, right? Which is, I guess, where, or this is where I imagine most people kind of get stuck. They don't understand what's what's out what's out there what's possible for them it's just that's just the way it is right that's just who i am right. that's just how i feel that's just how things are and it's like it's like we're there's this felt understanding that everything is set in stone yeah and, and then there is no malleability in that way and um what your experiences and what i've described as well my own experience uh suggests is that there is a level of malleability there that we can as, as well work with right yeah, and I would I would say that's the missing piece in our therapeutic environment. Um, uh, you know, uh, like talk therapy can be very important for somebody. Like, and what I had to do at post that experience is go into uh, like a, a, a sort of narrative building therapy with with a with a therapist as well. I, I saw I saw the va uh, validity in that, mm -hmm. uh, but like, what I think that society is not getting. Um, because therapy is celebrated. That's mm. celebrated. It should be. It's amazing. Um, we really need to get our narrative straight sometimes. Um, but if you were to send me into a therapy session before that embodied experience, mm. I don't think it would have had the same impact. Why not? Because I didn't have that sensory. I didn't have that sensory memory of of like a new healthier journey. Right. Okay, so we would probably just be recycling what it is that we know and yeah, exactly. ultimately how we know ourselves. Yeah, I would have been in a loop potentially. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the, like, uh, you know, there, like around 1900s, like with Freudianism, uh, therapy became a very much like you on the couch, me over here. Yes. And, uh, and there really wasn't this like one-on-one -on -one um, environment using like sensory experiences, yes. breath work or tools, modalities, like, um, like, uh, like ice tubs, even, mm. um, there's amazing, by the way, there's amazing, uh, data out there now with hot, uh, with cold plunges and, uh, recovering from alcoholism. All right. Uh, that's, it's the, the dopamine spikes that they're getting people, uh, into, uh, is lasting and sustaining, hmm. and so you're seeing this being implemented in recovery and treatment programs now. So I love it. It's a huge. It's, I'm loving seeing that, yeah. like when when people are talking about this. But um, but yeah, it used to be a very much like you over there on the couch, me over here listening, um, and you know the the success rate might not have it might have been higher and higher and higher over the the course of the century if we were to just have maybe incorporated embodied experiences yeah yeah and, and th this is something i want to have like i want to bring a deeper understanding to mm -hmm. you know because i like I, I really agree with you based on my own experiences and based on the understanding that i've now cultivated within all of that and at the same time like for me the default was to understand understand things with my mind mm -hmm. right to bring a more cognitive approach and i've always been very passionate about psychology and philosophy and like i still love it right but at the same time, I, I do understand as well now the limitations to that and that there is there is no way for me to enter certain places without 
taking a more body centric approach. Absolutely. Can you describe why that is? And yeah, like maybe just illuminate us why, why that's so important and why cognitive approaches will never suffice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a tale as old as time. It really <laughs> is. It's like people have been talking about this for 5,000 plus years. <laughs> They're like, okay, no, you, you got to understand that, that, that memories get formed through the senses. They get imprinted on your, on your mind. Uh, 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 yeah. Yoga talks about this. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the native Americans have, 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 uh, developed entire treatment and therapy programs. Um, where you know you have to you have to go through the senses to change your change your memory and change your um understanding of yourself so uh like if we've been taught if it's been like common knowledge forever like why do we think we get to change it in a hundred years uh by by having cognitive top-down uh, approaches uh using workbooks to find triggers it's like we we can we can do that that's valuable but um, first, you know, we, we need to melt away the, some scars or yeah. the, or the, or the, uh, impressions on the, on the memory banks. Yeah. Mm. How does that, and how does that translate over into the work that you do? What I'm more interested, what I'm as well interested in hearing about is, um, when a, when a client or, um, yeah, when somebody shows up in your office on the table, um, what what do you usually see is manifesting themselves and like what is it that you specifically do that to help people enter those type of states my work is very passive um there's a lot the body work can be um many different things many different interpretations um but i think that the the main thing and i take this from andrew huberman is that uh focus and like a combination of focus which would be dopamine and deep rest are the grounds for neuroplasticity. Mm. That's how you change the the nervous system mm. uh, and specifically the functionality of the of the nerves. So uh, a passive, like pa by passive, I mean that the client's not doing any sort of active work. Yeah. Um, besides breathing. Mm. Um, uh, so so I'm a very passive practitioner, um, and then I'm a very technical practitioner. So I'm looking to uh, stretch uh, very specific tendons of the body in ways that people can't access on their own. Each tendon has its own receptor that tells us where our body is at in space. Um, thousands of receptors, but each tendon has those um, that that tells us how um, much tension is on a muscle. And we want each one of those to be sending good feedback to the brain. So I go tendon by tendon um, and, and I, I make these small micro adjustments. Now, when I make those micro adjustments, I see a reflex pop off. Mm. I see reflexes go up the spine. And whenever I see reflexes go up the spine, I know I'm in the right spot. How does that reveal itself to you? Um, it's usually in the form of a, uh, like a, like a small muscle contraction. Mm. Um, and then if I go too hard, I'm going to get a protective mm -hmm. response. So it's this like back and forth with the client, this ease, this easing, uh, this, this, this don't, don't go too much pressure, but also go with enough that makes a physical change. Right. And I'm constantly in this back and forth communication with someone's uh, subconscious body. Right. So it's like you have to enter those states, but at the same time, carry a level of attunement and sensitivity to not go too far to create kind of like a backlash. Yeah. Cause once I create that protective response, I can maybe imprint a negative memory on their, right. on their body. So I'm, I'm really trying to 
be careful. Um, and by careful, I mean like I'm still going deep. Yes. I, yes. I still know exactly where to, to where to press. Um, uh, and then the other the, the 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 other part of the work is deep rest. Mm. Um, I, when someone is in these states of non-sleep deep rest or yoga nidra, yep, um, they are awake and alert, but they're also like able to get into parasympathetic and attuned to like very subtle things like their heartbeat and their breath. Um, and and then that can be. Uh, that can be very valuable because they're they're usually not in that state at all during the day. Like everyone, by nine o'clock, we're all ramped up on coffee trying to figure out like what we're gonna do. So uh, to get somebody into that state can be very valuable. Yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely relate to that with my own experiences, and I'm I'm very appreciative of Edward and uh, and the approach that we as well that I as well learn through him in the breath work that we do because there is as well. Um, a lot of breathwork styles which bring a deeper focus towards the activation but not so much on the relaxation space right and um, because my norm as well was to kind of go into these spaces of activation I love it like I know it's it's sexy it's like (laughs) it's like we want we want to see that we want to see change we want to see like rah rah let's go that's it right (laughs) so that was my norm and that was my default and it's what i loved right yeah but then i was always directed and guided towards dude chill yeah relax you know like let things be easy that was like one of the things that was one of the common sentences i heard when i was doing breathwork sessions and what it suggested to me over time was what i got was to actually bring a bit more balance in that relaxation response that at that time was still very limited for me. And uh, I now, having experienced it, understand the value of that um, because the, that as well expressed itself in my life, right? I had this like very go-go mentality and was at the edge of burnout, but had no capacity to rest, mm-hmm. to digest, nor did I understood, nor did I understand um, when I was at my edge. So I didn't have that felt sense of understanding of, Oh, okay. I think, I think we're going at our edge right now. You need to tone down a little bit. Right. And I didn't have the capacity to do that. This is why I believe this work is so damn important. How valuable was that? Yeah. You know, like that, that's to, to even have a realization that, um, you know, that, okay, I need to cultivate this space for better learning Mm. for better learning environment for myself. Uh, that, yeah, that can be so, so crucial. And it can also be hard Mm. to, it can be difficult to find that, um, uh, you know, I've burned out twice and I know this stuff and mm. uh, it's, it's, it's hard, uh, sometimes to, uh, admit to yourself that, oh, I, I, like, I need to take, I need to take five, 10 minutes and just get out of like whatever I'm doing and, and totally. Yeah. And, and tap in. Yeah. I'll share with you a personal experience today. Like I was supposed to lead a breathwork circle and I reached out to one of the people and saying, I can't like, I'm, I am at the edge right now. Yeah. Cause, uh. You know, I just launched this podcast yeah. um, like a few days ago and like a lot's been happening and I was literally at my edge. And this morning I was just like, I knew I wanted to do this interview with you and it's something I was looking forward to, but I had to give myself the afternoon, the evening just to rest. Yeah. yeah. And in the past, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I wouldn't have been able to say no to that because I had this heroic mentality. I had this, this impression inside of me that if I say no to that and if I cancel, 
if I tend to myself, I may be perceived as weak. Yeah. Right. So I'll not do that. Right. Yeah. And it, it 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 was really fascinating for me to see that and how that way of thinking would as well guide me into burnout. Right. If I didn't understand as well a way of, um, yeah, getting myself out of those kind yeah. of like impressions that I've maybe cultivated over yeah. time. I think that's. I think that over the past like twenty years, ten years, maybe. I think that's been a really beautiful shift in society is the acceptance of understanding someone else's um, limit empathically. Like I really have seen that on numerous occasions where someone will, ha someone will get into their power and they'll say, I don't think I can do that today. But the beautiful thing is when I see someone else go, yeah, I understand that. Like I've been there. I know, I know exactly what you mean. So like, let's, Let's totally, uh, let's reorganize our plans or, or do anything like, like when I see someone else come from that understanding, I was like, I, I'm always like, that's amazing. Yeah. That, that's, that's something I haven't seen in the past, like few years, mm -hmm. or that's something I have seen more in the past few years than I have in, in previous yeah. years. So I can absolutely relate to that. And that's, that's how it was as well received. And I was so appreciative of yeah. that, you know, that I'm in an environment where that, that can be just received so so deeply yeah um yeah this is this is just really like all fascinating and um the thing that i would like to have a deeper understanding towards is what happens when we have so we we've described how um certain events certain habituated ways of being can default us into a position of um danger yeah and I would like to hear more about how does that express itself then in the body mm -hmm. and what is the work that you then do on that? Yeah, uh, with any conditioning, with any, with any conditioning is a default motor pattern. Um, so we will default toward seeking behaviors or we'll default toward protective behaviors or we'll t default toward... Um, and by behavior, I mean like subconscious, like we're not, we're not aware of these behaviors. These are, this is like the way our motor patterns start to, to move. Um, uh, when I'm working with it, when I'm working with a body, when I'm working with breaths, um, we are adjusting those motor patterns in, out of the default. And by just giving someone enough space out of the default, um, you give them the, you give them the awareness that they can move out of the, the protective or, hmm. uh, or seeking response. Right. So it sounds like you're supporting them in cultivating a level of awareness of that yeah. experience. Absolutely. Or and just what? giving them like, just giving them a moment mm. and that moment can be, uh, impactful. Mm. Yeah. And, and that awareness or that, that moment. Um, that gives them a deeper opportunity to have agency to work with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, agency is like the the name of the game. Mm -hmm. um, Why is that the name of the game? Because someone can feel, or maybe they don't even know that they feel, uh, you know, constricted or or tied down by an emotion, tied down by an environment, um, and then just to just to give them an experience where agency is, is priority. Uh, you know, it feels good to do something for yourself. 
and 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 it feels good to see someone who has done something good for you and when and when you get out of an environment and you get to say that um that's agency and that's like that you know that uh, there's a whole cascade of good things that can come from that not not to mention all the neurochemicals involved in that oxytocin mm -hmm. uh, serotonin um dopamine so um these all get uh reorganized rearranged in a way that's healthy mm. um i think there i think at that moment in time though it's really important that the practitioner be trauma informed mm -hmm. and i think that that's that's where we're moving as a society with our embodied practitioners is like understanding that um we're in a human experience we can have shifting patterns of behavior based on our human experiences some human experiences are terrifying and and that can be like that's that could be where we start to lean toward and uh some embodied experiences that that practitioners can take us through can bring these um, they, they can bring us back to like a healthy baseline but they can also bring up a lot of emotion mm -hmm. so it's it's understanding that um i'm providing a space trauma-informed does not mean trauma therapy yep it means like I'm providing a space for you to go uh, have more self-awareness of your body. And I'm going to do that in a safe environment. That's, that's what a trauma informed person is. When these processes or these felt experiences come to the surface and perhaps the person lying on the table is going into an experience where they're flooding or there's a lot of emotions present, how do you usually work with that? So they can actually come out of that feeling more empowered and more safe. Yeah, I think just a uh, without trying to fix someone. <laughs> that's the. I think that's like a, that's the pivot that we all really want to look for is like uh, when when someone is going through these environments and and these emotional floods. Um, it's 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 always good to start by saying, "Hey, look, I'm right here. Uh, if um, if there's anything I can do for you in this moment, I will." Uh, and then not trying to flood them with with. Like, do you want this? Do you want that? Mm. Uh, it's more of a, um, uh, I have a heavy blanket. I have a hand for you to hold. I have a glass of water yep. and I'll be here for you. Mm. And then when that's over, like, cause it'll, it'll just take as long as it takes. Um, you know, then there's space for negotiation and, yeah. and, and, and talk. Yeah. I was laughing because I, I can see, of course, my own tendencies from the past, but then as well, that's such a, uh, it seems like such a default to want to fix. Oh yeah. But then as well, or it's like a life's work. <laughs> yeah. To caretake because from my experiences, I was just, I, I was not feeling comfortable myself yeah. in their response. Yeah. And so I needed them to feel better so I could feel better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, one of the things my wife and I, Kelly had shout out. Um, one, one thing that we've gotten into is, uh, saying, uh, Okay, do you um, in this moment do you want comfort or do you want me to to fix this? Like mm -hmm. by giving those two options, yes. <laughs> it solved a lot of yes. it solved a lot of uh, uh, issues though, yeah. or strife. You know, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And how does I'm I'm curious how does co-regulation fit into the mix when these responses come up? And yeah, how how can co-regulation be translated? Okay. Um, Co-regulation is is not an activity that we do. Yeah, 
Uh, okay. It's a uh, it's a subtle um, environment of two people's nervous systems communicating um, in many ways below our level of consciousness. So co-regulation would be um, um, taking a breath and allowing somebody to take a breath with you. Like um, uh, if someone's not knowing how to take a breath in that moment, we we automatically go and like allow them to match that um that you know that cascades into heartbeats uh, sinking up um uh, tactile presence is really important warmth of a hand uh warmth of a blanket um and and it's almost this uh, level of empathy that our nervous systems are matching um and just presence is the big the big key part of that is just being next to to somebody in a in a space that uh is going to foster that mm. why do you believe presence is so like important and essential we're in a di- we're in a very distant society <laughs> we're in a very like achieving individualistic society and that, that maybe that moved out of america into the rest of the world maybe maybe on maybe that's just my american lens on things but like i've certainly growing up um have seen a uh, reinforcement of individualistic activity. Um, uh, And I feel like, uh, I feel like, um, you know, we just, we're not afforded spaces where, you know, it's together as much, you know, like one, like two people moving toward a common goal. Yeah. even entrepreneurship can be like isolating sometimes yeah. and you're working with many people all the time. So, mm. um, achievement gets celebrated, individualistic achievement gets celebrated, but sometimes like we need, you know, we can't do things alone. Yeah, we can. Yeah. I guess what you're really speaking to for me as well by saying these things, um, which I, I definitely agree with, um, is the absence of interacting, engaging with each other relationally. Mm. Right. And that, our goal-driven, purpose-driven, achievement-driven way of living can be directed in such a way that we're more coming from our heads, but we're not seeing, okay, how are we engaging with others? How am I being and how is that influencing? How is that impacting another, right? And because there is such a an absence, a lack of that, it seems like that's what we're really craving. Yeah. 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 I, w- I would say, I, I would say we're craving it. I would also say that like, we just don't want to lose, you know, we we're doing, we're doing practices and, and I think it's coming on stronger. We're doing practices that are, um, supposed to be cultivating empathy for others, um, by grounding ourselves and, and taking care of ourselves, like first filling our own cups up first. Um, I see that a lot uh, going on, especially here in Bali, which is fortunate i love i love that part about this place um but you know that there's there's the other side of that there's like the performative side and we need to be aware of like uh, am i doing this for the sake of myself and for others or am i doing this for the sake of my ego or Mm -hmm. uh, you see that you see those two quite often so yeah thanks brother um i'm curious to hear more about what it is that you believe another person someone who's listening to this conversation, what would they 
what would be useful for them to know about the work that you do? And what is a message perhaps that you would like to share with the listeners? Um, I would just like to really offer the space. I think I would say that we naturally seek out um, connection. We naturally seek out activity. We are motivated to, we are a motivated Indivi like individual person, individual body. We have all these chemicals um, communicating with us all the time to drive us and give us purpose and meaning in our lives. And an essential part of that is to take ourselves through an embodied experience in the presence of another and the loving, caring presence of another. Um, you know, whether it be yoga and my my beautiful, amazing wife is a tantric hatha yoga practitioner. She leads many people through um, like very specific uh, embodied experiences that have been handed down through 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 time, and and she's amazing. Um, uh, it it's it's about like when when it's about seeking these environments like that out. It's about seeking environments like body work out. It's in see seeking environments like breath work out um, for your mental health mm. and knowing that you're not, it, it's very hard to impact mental health without the embodied experience. Mm. Um, and then I would also say that, that I think it's really important that um, not, I think it's important to know that you were, allowed to ask your practitioners questions mm. and interview them as the right ones. Yeah. Because sometimes, uh, you know, we'll go off someone's suggestion, um, we'll go off someone's uh, recommendation. Um, and then that, and then that person won't be for us. And then we'll feel a sense of guilt or shame that we didn't like that, that we didn't like it, or we didn't feel like that was the right activity for us. And I think that that's, okay i think we need to normalize that yeah. a little bit more because uh that can turn people off of these embodied experiences mm. um so just knowing that um it's a constant seeking of your own uh health mental health and and capacity for for change and 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 finding an environment that's healthy and conducive for that um and being and just knowing that you can ask questions you you can be empowered mm. uh, to find what's right for you yeah, I think that's really important. I think that would be a message that I would want to get across. And, and uh, just to know that these are like body work. I've seen the most amazing transformations come from consistent body work. Mm. I've seen people shape their entire lives uh, because they have found a, a new uh, feeling, you know, we call them feelings for a reason. Yeah. Like they're a it's a felt sense. It's a tactile. It's through touch. We don't have thinkings. <laughs> we have feelings. We, we don't have thinkings. You know, so like it, it, we need to work with these feelings. Uh, we need to work through the embodied experience to, to be able to decipher what these are. Yeah. Uh, and then comes, you know, then comes our narrative building structure. Then comes working with a therapist to, to really hone in on. Yeah. Who I, am I and what's my what's my place in the world? Thank you, man. I, I really love this message and I, I really love as well just the importance that you said on working with the body as a foundation. That's that's really what I received as well. And an another as well, giving the empowerment to the listener, giving the empowerment to the person who 
it was seeking for help, mm-hmm. right? And, and recognizing they have the power to ask questions. They have the power to choose with whom they want to work with and Absolutely. what feels as well safe in their own bodies. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. What I'm interested to hear a bit more about is if the listener is currently not in a position where they're able to perhaps work with a trained practitioner, maybe it's, I mean, there could be various reasons for that. Um, what can they already do to start going on a journey of creating deeper safety, but as well deeper empowerment within mm-hmm. themselves? to work with a, the felt experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, the beauty about modality is like um, yoga is that it was developed originally as a science of self-practice and self-mastery and self-embodiment. Um, uh, I think focusing on self-practice would be the grounds for starting and then someone would probably be ready to move on into an environment of one-on-one work um so to clarify you're saying they might not be ready to see a practitioner yeah perhaps it's finances perhaps they're not in a position where they feel safe enough to do so yet yeah um and how how can they work like or at least already take the first steps towards working with the felt experience to explore a more embodied based approach yeah. towards living um, that doesn't maybe require them yet to work with another practitioner. Yeah. Whilst at the same time, that is probably kind of like what we want to aspire for in the future. Yeah. Uh, well, potentially said in the yoga sutras that the body is the vehicle uh, to remember the soul. Mm. And so, I love that. yeah, your body is your body is a vehicle. It's free. Mm. You can you don't have to pay yourself. You can, you can, uh, start today. Um, uh, and, uh, and so getting a practice that, that you have free reign to get a practice that you like, get a practice that you like mm. and, and, and do it for 40 days. That's a sadhana. Mm. If you do something for 40 days, that's like, that's grounds for learning something new. And so so we have the body is the ve- the vehicle. This is the tool that we all have hmm. um, to to work toward a goal. Um, and and yeah, and um, you know if 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 maybe you get so much out of that practice that you chose that you want more hmm. or you want to seek more, and then um, you know seek more, and then when finances come, then you can start to. And then you can start to explore or when you're comfortable in your own body again, then you can start to explore. Um, but, um, I think that, I think that, uh, if we're seeking practices, you know, there's always, we do want a voice. We do want an expert. We do want someone who's learned, um, uh, to help guide us. I think that's really important, but, um, by no means does it have to be, um, at, at heavy cost or at heavy um, energy expenditure. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. And I mean, the the entry for a lot of the work that I do, and or at least exploring, you know, this journey that I've been on has been yoga, right? Yeah. Like around almost five years ago, and I went through yoga teacher training, and I understood its value through going through the experience. I, I didn't know the value before I, I started. It was really through the felt experience of, you know, lying down shavasana. And a relaxation pose and, and literally feeling a sense of 
like being at home and a sense of what I would describe in my own words as bliss in my own body that gave me an understanding, shit, there is value in this. Mm -hmm. I want to do this again, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and keep going at it and keep, like for me at that time, it was as well, a great vehicle as well for exploring self-improvement because it was just something that, and it still is, it's something that has always been um, a big driver of mine but then exploring it in a way that was as well, felt very conducive for my body, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so I can, I can very much um, vouch for that kind of being an amazing entry point. I'm curious to hear, how does yoga play into the work that you do? Or like, is that, yeah, or is there any connection there? Because it seems like you have a very deep um, as well affinity for yoga and as well, considering that your wife as well is a, Hatha yoga teacher. Yeah. Um, how does how does that play in it? It's a big. It's a big. It, I wouldn't know half of the things I know without the things that that Kelly's taught me. So, um, uh, Hatha Hatha yoga uh, in particular um, is a wise sequence. Uh, it's it's not a, a style of yoga. It's like a it's like an umbrella that that yoga was you know formulated under. So, uh, so uh, the the big thing about Hatha that I love uh, in particular is that the poses are held for a, a, a good amount of time and breath catches up to those poses. You can shape the breath in those poses. Um, and uh, what, those do, what those poses do on a scientific level is they challenge those stretch receptors in each one of the muscles mm -hmm. in a way that um, uh, allows them to uh, find kind of like a, a, a length uh, where they maybe weren't finding before. Um, and so you have that pr proprioceptive value, like all of a sudden joint by joint coming up into the, into the mind and, and, and shaping a new like sense of self. Uh, and then you do pranayama and then you meditate on that sense of self. And it's like a wise sequence on how to get there. Um, and I, and I, I think that's, like when I look at it and I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Uh, it, it's informed my work. Mm. It's informed the way that I speak about um, uh, body work to my clients. Uh, and then I always suggest that, that I always suggest uh, yoga. Tantra is a whole science based around sure. that, but the the uh, but the actual vehicle of hot of hatha yoga is, yeah. has been just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I personally agree as well. Like considering that I've explored various different approaches of yoga and some of them don't feel as conducive for the body and are so fast paced that I feel like my body can't really catch up to it. And I actually need to disconnect my body in order to <laughs> continue with the right. sequences. So that's kind of like where I, I guess it can be harmful even, you know? Yeah. That's what, I mean, that's why I think I just suggested like when someone finds the practice that's right for them, it's like, that's such an agency building uh, exercise also to say like this isn't for me yeah um you know i wish i said that in one yoga class where i, mm -hmm. I tore my mental skin oh man <laughs> but i wish i would have said that right before that class right but, um uh yeah no like uh finding a practice that you can um back out of mm -hmm. is as valuable as finding a practice that works for you so, yeah 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 the saying this one this one's not for me yeah Cool. Um, well, we're kind of like slowly winding down within this conversation. And one last topic that I want to touch into is, uh, as you know, this this podcast is called The Heart of Man. Mm -hmm. And what I'm gearing towards is 
um, supporting men to, I'm going to say, connect back to their core and learn how to live from that place uh, in, in deeper resonance and deeper connection within themselves. And I'm, I'm curious to hear um, more about what it is that you've been finding within the male clients that you've been working with. And of course, I don't want to go into any specifics or specific experiences that, but rather like what are some of the patterns perhaps that you've been observing within your male clients and as well, what is a message that you believe could be very useful for them, for any male listeners to hear? Yeah. And I won't speak for like the global man. Sure. Sure. Like we're all so different. And mm. I love that about, about us guys is like, we, we come in with, um, different, different experiences, different, uh, senses of purpose. And, 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 uh, I would just say that, um, uh, the, 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 the men that I've worked with, um, uh, in so many ways, uh, like seek and, and want the, so they, they want to support those around them. Uh, and then with that support can come like some patterning, which is just natural. It's just, uh, uh, you know, we love to take on load sometimes, uh, and then that load can actually, uh, you know, be experienced in our bodies. Um, so I love being able to give men like some weight off of their shoulders, so to say, literally, literally though, like that sometimes we'll be like, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll lock up in the shoulders and we'll be like these big, broad individuals mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and so giving, uh, uh, get, giving, uh, another man platonic support, support, uh, can, uh, it's been, um, it's been a learning experience for some, it's been a challenge for some, um, it's been a beautiful experience for some, it's been a, uh, an, an experience that, that, uh, you know, has built me and, and, and another brother's re like relationship deeply. So, um, I, I really love working working with my guys. Um, uh, you know, I yeah, I would just say um, uh, I would just say on a professional level, uh, a lot of guys take on uh, a lot of stress um, in many many different ways that uh, many different professions that they have chosen throughout their life. So um, I also like to to work on a profession by profession level um, with with a lot of guys. And so typically, what I'll see with certain professions is certain holding patterns and. Mm. Um, to give someone freedom from from those holding patterns has been uh, really beautiful. I'm thinking about my um, special operators, um, and I'm thinking about my uh, football players. So, um, being able to give them like freedom from those like workplace environments is is truly been impactful for for me and for them. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, brother. Yeah, and thank you so much for this message. Yeah. And I think that can be so really helpful. And like, it, it's just as well such a beautiful reminder for me and as well the guys that I work with. Um, that it's, it's okay for us to as well receive at times and, and that we don't always need to give and like go out there and like carry those loads with us. But sometimes it is well, it is useful to really let those go. And I, yeah, and I think we're uh, like, I think we need to cultivate um, as much plutonic, platonic male touch as, as, as possible. Yeah. Um, it's a difference from society to society. I was talking with Tiffany Field at the uh, Touch Research Institute in, in Miami. Mm. And she's just like, look, like people in Brazil, where my wife's from, they're mm. they're touching people's legs, they're right. giving hugs, they're, they're tactile, yes, like 
fifty percent of the time. Yeah. And if you go to America, they're tactile like two percent of the time. Wow. It's just a huge <laughs> difference. All right. Uh, you know, I was sitting with coffee with my friend John Luca in Uluwatu, and he's just touching my leg, mm. like to talk, to like mm. bring mm. to bring a like some sort of <laughs> like if he wanted to land a point with me, like he's touching my leg to 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 land a point, and I'm like, this is awesome. Like I actually get you now. Yes. Like I get what you're trying to tell me, yes. and and I'm just like, think of all that communication that's being not. That that's being lost in mm-hmm. translation or across the globe, yeah. Uh, and especially between between guys, because we, you know, sometimes we want to do 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 the thing by ourselves. Uh, I I know I have a, uh, I know I personally need to ask uh, men's help. Um, that's something I I uh, ha- I aspire to do more of, uh, and so. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting all the, we just need to cultivate a, a, a communal brotherhood sense of, of, of touch. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And like one of the aspirations that I personally have as well in the work that I do is, um, to support men in learning how to have deeper brotherhood, deeper, um, communion with other men. Um, and that is of course, based on my own experiences and woundings of like lone wolfing my way through life. Yeah. And, um, I see that being experienced through a lot of men as well that I, I speak to. And I would just like to support them on a uh, a pathway forwards for that. Yeah, guys, get your body work. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Edward, this has been such uh, a pleasure for me. Thank you so much you for your time. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so you. much for your wisdom, your knowledge. Uh, it's it's so it's such a gift um, to, to receive somebody who has such a depth of knowledge within the nervous system, within body work, and understanding the body and, and reflexes. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. Yeah, I appreciate you. It's been a beautiful conversation. Yeah, thank you. Is there, I'm curious to hear if there's one last message uh, that you'd like to give our listeners, what would it be? Yeah, I think, I think it's just go get body work, to, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, nice. That's my message, like, uh, across, across the globe, like the, the, the pandemic, and I'll just go briefly into this. They created just such a, um, uh, a, a level of touch deprivation mm. on an already touch deprived society. Uh, a lot of distrust is out there. A lot of, uh, a lot of pain, uh, and a lot of that can be, you know, started to be worked with, worked with if we just celebrate body work a little bit more. And so we really need to, we really need to train more body workers. We really need to train more, uh, therapeutic touch uh, professionals. So Hmm. that's, that's my goal. I love it. Tell our listeners more about your work and where they can find you online. Yeah. Uh, I'm at scienceoftouch.com. Uh, my Instagram handle is signs of touch. Um, I was very lucky to get that handle <laughs> because I'm sharing literally touch science, um, all the time. Uh, the, the, the science of, of, uh, the deep science of, of what it means to be held and, and embodied. So, um, I'm, I'm celebrating that on my Instagram. Uh, I do have a practitioner, uh, training and I have a master class coming up. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how those go here soon. Nice. Yeah, I'll make sure as well to link up uh, all the info um, on the episode notes. And uh, yeah, for all the listeners, thank you uh, for coming online. Thank you as well for being part of this conversation with me and Edward. And until next time, much love. Thank you for listening to this episode. Your time and attention is truly appreciated. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to stay tuned for my upcoming episodes. And in case you know somebody who would find this episode helpful, I encourage you to pay it forward. Finally, 
If you've personally been receiving value from the show, one way you're able to support this podcast is by leaving a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Not only does this help more people find the show, but it also supports me in bringing more incredible guests on for the future. I'm your host, Alex Lehman, and until next time, signing off.